0: This is Books Speaks and Beyond, where we will bring you provocative music and engaging interviews from music artists, authors, historians, and others barely acknowledged by the mainstream media. I'll be your host, Taj. Today, I'm talking with Dr. Heather Ann Thompson about her definitive book on the Attica Uprising entitled Blood in the Water, the Attica Uprising of 1971 and its legacy. The New York Times Book Review says it's a masterly account, essential. Blood in the Water restores the prisoner struggle to its rightful place in our collective memory. Also, Michelle Alexander, author of The New Jim Crow, Mass Incarceration in the Age of Colorblindness, says Blood in the Water is extraordinary a true gift to the written history of civil rights and racial justice struggles in America. Dr. Heather Ann Thompson is an award-winning historian at the University of Michigan in Ann Arbor. She has written on the history and current crises of mass incarceration for numerous popular and scholarly publications. Her work can be found in the New York Times, Time Magazine, The Atlantic, Salon, Huffington Post, and Descent. Most recently, Blood in the Water Has been long listed for the 2016 National Book Award. Dr. Heather Ann Thompson, thank you for being on the show.
1: Great to be here.
0: Thank you. So, uh, just to start out, give us a brief overview of when and what was the Attica Uprising.
1: Well, the Attica uprising takes place in upstate New York in 1971, and it was a a very remarkable moment in American history. Really, I would say one of the most important human rights and civil rights struggles of the 20th century. Uh, Approximately 2,400 men were crammed into that facility. It was overcrowded. The conditions were horrendous. Uh, These men were being fed on 63 cents a day, were giving uh being given terrible medical care um and being worked for uh really slave wages and they tried to get their uh their living conditions and working conditions addressed by writing letters and by trying to call attention uh, to their plight with various state legislators uh, and really to no avail. And on September 9, 1971, uh, they really exploded in frustration and ultimately uh, got organized to have a really remarkable uh, civil rights and human rights protest in that prison.
0: Wow. So why did you write this book?
1: (laughs) Well, I'm actually, uh, by training, a historian of uh, civil rights and cities, and I'm also from Detroit. And, you know, Attica was one of those stories that growing up uh, I heard a lot about, and when I was ready to write my second book, I thought – you know, we really need a history of this. Uh, this is a civil rights protest that happens behind bars. You know, how how interesting is that and how important must that be? Of course, having no idea when I began this project 13 years ago that it was going to be almost uh, – it felt almost impossible to write the book because the state of New York was uh, essentially still sitting on and blocking access to the primary records related to Attica, and that's because of how brutally the state of New York ended it.
0: Wow! So how did you get some of this information? Because it's very detailed.
1: <laughs> well, it was uh, again a journey. I mean, part of this book uh, was uh, absolutely and fully dependent on talking to the survivors. That was both the uh, both the prisoner survivors, the hostage survivors, and frankly also the lawyers and the judges. And uh, the journalists who had really lived through this with the uh, with the Attica prisoners. And I talked to lots of folks. I kept filing Freedom of Information Act requests. I uh, poked around in courthouses across the nation, um, really tried to just come at this in every. Way possible, and ultimately had some real luck I, I stumbled across some records that i 'm you know pretty certain the state of New York did not know were in a, a courthouse in upstate new york and um, and really, with those records was able to tell what was uh, what really became clear to me was a massive cover up about uh, what had happened there
0: Wow, so you talked about some of the reasons um for the rebellion, if you can get a little deeper, how were their living conditions? How was the average inmate living prior to the uprising?
1: Well, what's interesting, of course, is that when you read this book, uh, you know you'll, you'll you'll feel very moved. I hope that people were, you know, sentenced to terms in prison, but they were not sentenced to neglect or abuse, uh, they were not sentenced to uh, what these men experienced on a daily basis. Some of them, by the way, merely there in this maximum security facility for violating parole. You know this is hardly even this uh, universally hardcore criminal group one would imagine and yet they were you know these guys were losing their teeth because they had no medical care and therefore it was hard to eat they were uh, they were constantly being put in what they called keep lock which is locked in your cell without being able to get out for uh, maybe not working when you're sick or uh, they couldn't uh they would get parole, but they couldn't get out because the state forced them to to get an old telephone book and and write to employers to hire them and if unless they had an employer who agreed to hire them, they couldn't get out even if they had made parole so it was just an assortment and then of course, there was the racial discrimination this was a uh, uh, by no means an all black or Puerto Rican prison population, but certainly a majority, and all the guards were white. And the daily indignities, the daily abuse that Black prisoners, in particular, suffered, and Spanish-speaking prisoners, uh, made made it really unbearable. And of course, these were guys that were used to that experience at the hands of the police in the streets. And this was the Civil Rights era, and they weren't uh, they weren't gonna take it in the streets, and they they ultimately couldn't take it in the prison either.
0: So, what kept the prisoners from revolting sooner?
1: Well, it's interesting. You know, prisons very much uh, run on um, a, a regime of uh, real control. That is to say, if anyone gets out of line, they're immediately put in isolation or locked up. And so it's actually very difficult for prisoners to stand together to rebel. Uh, we're seeing that today. Um, there's been a rash of prison strikes and, mm-hmm. and prison protests today. And it's really, you know, it, it takes a lot for uh for order to break down in a prison, but in this case ironically uh, management prison management touches it off they they were retaliating for an incident the night before, and they made this really uh, re- really stupid decision to uh, lock an entire company of men in this tunnel, not let them go out to wreck as they had expected to do, but they didn't tell the the guards running that company what was going to happen. They didn't tell the prisoners what was happening, and it was act- actually panic. These guys panicked, thought they were about ready to be beaten by the guards or attacked that led to complete chaos, and then it was a complete fluke. One of the main gates in the prison that controlled kind of access to the nerve center of the prison, what they called Times Square, um, had a faulty weld in it, and it actually uh, busted when the prisoners pushed on it. And so it was a a series, quite frankly, of accidents, and it was completely chaotic. But ultimately um, what, again, happens is no accident, which is to say these guys understand this is an opportunity to bring the world into Attica. They elect uh, representatives from the cell block to speak for them. They invite observers in to help oversee these negotiations to make sure that the state negotiates in good faith. Um, And so it's both a a chaotic riot to begin with, but ultimately a very organized uh, rebellion.
2: Let's go, fellas. Shout time's up in five minutes. That's it.
3: Five more minutes and that's it. I to back. to Yo Little Khadija Pops is locked, she wanna pop the lock but prison ain't nothing but a private stock And she be dreaming about his date of release She hate the police, but loved by her grandma who hugs and kisses her Her father's a political prisoner, free Fred Son of a panther that the government shot dead Back in 12 4, 1969 Four o'clock in the morning, it's terrible but it's fine Cause Fred Hampton Jr. looks just like him Walks just like him, talks just like him And it might be frightening the feds and the snitches I See him organize the gang. Brothers and sisters, so he had to be framed, yo. You know how the game go eighteen years because the five oh said so. They said he set a fire to a Arab store, but he ignited the minds of the young black and poor behind enemy lines. My niggas cell cellmates, most of the youth never escaped the jail fate. Super maximum cans will advance the game plan to keep us in the hands of the man locked up.
0: What were some of the prisoners' demands and proposals?
3: Well, again, you
1: know, it, it's interesting. So basic. I think readers will be surprised by how basic, um, you know, for, for days, that's, there was back and forth. The prisoners uh, had some that were a little more outlandish uh, from the media's point of view, but but some were basic as, you know, we need doctors here, we need better medical care, we need um, Spanish-speaking guards, you know, very, very basic human rights issues. And ultimately, those Demands were decided upon by consensus, and a very um, you know serious negotiation process began with the state. One that, incidentally, all parties involved, the hostages uh, whom the prisoners had taken as sort of a, you know a safety net to force the state to negotiate, everybody uh, was asking the governor to continue negotiations.
0: Mm -hmm. And the governor at the time was Nelson Rockefeller. And if you could talk a little bit about him and how he felt about the demands and proposals.
1: Well, it's interesting. So Nelson Rockefeller was a Republican, but he has gone down in history as one of the more liberal Republicans, someone who was responsible for, um, you know, running the state of New York at a time when the country was moving uh, much more – in a much more conservative direction – But what we learn at Attica is that, in fact, he was um, deeply conservative. He did not see these prisoners as having legitimate grievances. And the book uncovers the extent to which he is determined that they are not going to get the best of him. He is determined that he's going to take this prison with brutal force. And there's evidence in the book that he was being encouraged to do so from the highest levels of government uh, all the way to the Nixon administration, and that uh, he was going to show the nation and mostly his own party that he, too, was tough on crime. And, of course, this is the same governor that right after Attica is going to um, you know, launch the now notorious Rockefeller drug laws that will change our country forever.
0: Right. And – Richard Nixon was the president at the time. What was his reaction to this uprising?
1: Well, um, one of the uh, remarkable things about these records is that there's a a bit of a silence. We don't really know what he thought uh, as it was going on, uh, but we do know that teletypes from the FBI were going straight from Attica, every day of that rebellion to Nixon, to uh, the, the president, the vice president, the Army, the Navy, the Marines, the Air Force. So so clearly he was involved from the beginning. Um, but what we do know for certain is that once the government of New York takes the prison with force, the, the president of the United States is both congr- congratulatory, even though it's a bloodbath, and he only has one question. Uh, for Governor Rockefeller, which is is this a is this a black business um, and Rockefeller assures him that it was, even though of course it wasn't it was a multiracial uh, prison uprising um and nixon's fine with that. he was fine with the death toll at Attica as long as it was to teach uh, American blacks a lesson
0: right uh we We forgot to say that uh, during the uprising that the prisoners actually had some of the uh, Uh, prison employees as hostages, how were they being treated?
1: Well, they did. And in fact, in the initial moments of that rebellion, uh, prisoners took hostages because they understood that if they didn't have some kind of bargaining chip, they would be immediately uh, under siege by uh, law enforcement uh, and the prison would be retaken. So they did have hostages, but they uh, immediately surrounded those men with two rings of prisoners uh, the black Muslim prisoners stepped up to do that security, and they were given mattresses. They were fed, they were protected, and the injured guards, the ones who had been injured in that initial melee of the, you know, first hour of the, um, of the rebellion, um, were many of them were let out to get medical care. Um, very tragically, one of them does end up dying because he was uh, set upon by so many people. In those initial minutes. But in general, these men were protected and cared for. And that's why uh, even four days into this uprising, the hostages go on to the media and tell Rockefeller, look, you know, these these guys are treating us well. They have legitimate grievances. Give them what they need. And whatever you do, don't come in here with force. Uh, And that is what uh, Rockefeller was nevertheless determined to do
0: right and then but the media didn't really disseminate what the the hostages said they actually had their own interpretation to what was going on can you expound on that
1: well it's interesting because i do think that um the media that was assembled during those 4 days um it, it, we should note that the prisoners asked the media to come into the prison because they were very savvy they understood that most americans don't have a clue what's happening behind bars And they were very worried about their stories being distorted. So, um, you know, I think that people did get to see, at least initially, that the hostages wanted negotiations to continue. The problem was, um, meanwhile, outside of the prison, there were hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of state troopers from all around New York amassing and corrections officers from all over New York amassing outside of the prison determined to get in there, itching to get in there to exact revenge on the prisoners. And um, and ultimately what happens is these are the angry, bitter, heavily armed men that the government is going to send in, and then the media is fed a series of lies. They are told that the prisoners are the ones that killed the hostages, mm-hmm. which was – simply not true every hostage on that day of the retaking was killed by trooper bullets and law enforcement bullets
0: wow so they had the observ- observers they went through a set of negotiations with the state but then there's a part that i found kind of deceiving it was like almost that last part of the negotiation where right the state came with an ultimatum but they didn't really word it that way to the prisoners can you talk about that
1: Yeah, so one of the most disheartening things to learn uh, in this research was that, uh, you know, the state of New York has always said that when they came in with force on the fifth day, that they had no choice, that they had told the prisoners that this was their last chance, that they had to give up the hostages, that this was over. Um, In fact, uh, that's not what happened at all. I found the internal documents that indicated that when these Uh, prisoners were approached by the Commissioner of Corrections on the morning of September 13th. Uh, he said, you know, look, you need to, we, we were asking you one more time to release the hostages, but they had heard that every day for four days. In fact, they were led to believe that negotiations were still in play. And I know from the documents that that's because the Commissioner of Corrections was told expressly not to word his remarks as an ultimatum. And the reason this is significant is because what then gets unleashed on these guys who had no idea what was coming uh, was not only, um, uh, you know, 600 members of law enforcement that come in there with guns blazing, but they were also already immobilized from a toxic, toxic gas uh, that had been uh, dropped over the yard. So so what comes to them is nothing that they had ever expected and it was vicious and many hostages die as well because of this uh, this this absolutely fatal decision that the state of New York makes.
2: Seven in the morning, they kicking down my mama's door. Now tell me, what is this motherfucking drama for? Can a nigga get rest at the rest without the stress? Then they put the Glock to my chest. Think for switch twitch or pop off to the clink with this bitch-ass cap. They got a nigga locked like the dread on my head jack. And if I try to fight back, well, then I'm dead black. I got the right to an attorney and the state silent. They got the right to try to burn me if I play valid. I know the game, so I just roll with the procedure. A legal search and seizure. Something that they doing that they leisure. Down at the station, interrogation is taking place. Overcrowded jails, but for me, they make a space. Tell the devil to his face, he can suck my dick. It's the whole black race that they fucking with. Come to find my crime was letting brothers know the time on the devil and Stopping them from eating swine And plus my prior record seal my faith One for all And then God we trust Got me setting up a state, But still I won't fight my tongue I just write tight shit To incite the young To fight the one Who keeps them on the level That's minimum, And that's the number one
0: What's interesting is that's just a little part of your book just just the savagery and the mayhem that was unleashed on the prisoners. Can you talk about mm-hmm. you just talked about the gas, but talk about when they went in there, you know, bef- you know. Ugh. Oh, just d- d- it's just hard to describe, but if you can a little bit.
1: Yeah. Um, I mean, I have to say that um for me as a writer, that was the absolute hardest part of the book to write, and I've been told by readers that that is the hardest part of the book to read. I mean, indeed, people feel like they kind of have to take a breath and put it down every few minutes. It is, um, you know, it is a level of brutality that is quite hard to imagine. I mean, not only are men being shot, uh, some of them six and seven times, when they are already incapacitated, when they're already uh, retching and, uh, you know, blinded from the gas, uh, but they are, uh, you know, they are. They're essentially tortured thereafter, and it just goes on and on and on. And, and, and this is what readers have to kind of walk through to understand two things: a) why the state of New York will then spend the next forty years trying to cover it up, because they understand that this carnage is at the hands of the state police. Um, and B, why the survivors of this, the hostages and the guards, will spend the next forty years trying to be heard, trying to get some measure of justice. And you can't understand their passion or the or the determination of the state to cover it up until you understand just how bad that assault was on the prison.
0: Yeah, it was so bad that some. Not only was it state troopers, if I read right, there was park police, other correctional fo- oh, yeah. officers. They had personal weapons. They had Geneva banned ammunition. Uh, it was just yeah. amazing. So – so, um, and also, the prisoners were s- still protecting the hostages <laughs> if they could, yeah. which was like totally opposite of what was being said outside.
1: Yes, indeed. The state stood in front of uh, the prison that morning and uh, looked the media in the face, the New York Times, the LA Times, the AP, every reporter assembled there, and there were many – that the prisoners had killed the hostages and worse that they had uh, that one had actually castrated one of the guards and Mm -hmm. that the level of barbarism was all on the part of the prisoners and of course that's one of the reasons why um you know two things one that the that the retaliation on these prisoners is going to be so so brutal um, the officers believe that, you know, that this one guy has castrated a guard. He is tortured for hours and hours and hours as a result of that. And he never did anything. In fact, the guard who they were referring to had been shot by a fellow corrections officer. Um, but the other thing, of course, is that story about prisoner brutality is going to change the course of American history. Because, you know, prior to Attica, Many citizens really were feeling sympathetic to prisoner rights, you know, um, feeling uh, against the death penalty, feeling that guards should have better training. And after Attica, um, you know, the, the, the level of punitive uh, feeling against prisoners is quite, is quite shocking that comes down the pike.
0: Yeah, t- talk about it a little more right there.
1: Well, I mean, I think one of the things that we all have to ask ourselves is why would it be that over the last 40 years, you know, the United States came to lock up more people, and particularly black and brown people, than at any other time in our history and to an extent more than any other country on the planet? Mm -hmm. And you can't really understand that without um, understanding the history of the 1960s. I mean, we begin a war on crime very much in response to the urban Rebellions of the 1960s, you know, to the demand for civil rights and human rights in the streets, and Attica becomes that place where we justify treating uh, prisoners as less than human. Um, and and it was it was kind of shocking, I think, for me, and perhaps will be for readers as well, to understand that this wasn't accidental. This wasn't, and you know, and I'm not a conspiracy theorist. This Mm -hmm. is just simply is just simply walking through the documents um, that you know they literally lied about who had killed all the people at Attica and about the torture. And so think about it this way: Um, not only did they say the prisoners killed the hostages, but for the next five years, only prisoners get indicted for what happened at Attica. Not one member of law enforcement ever does a day in a jail cell for what happened, even though they killed everybody there. So so the nation was essentially swindled, sent a completely false story about what had happened, and I argue that the consequences of that were dire for, um, for our criminal justice policy thereafter.
0: Yeah, you're correct. And, you know, what, what's interesting, you know, Attica felt to me like it's influenced prisoners, but actually what mm-hmm. you just said, it also had a big backlash on on things that were happening um there was right mm -hmm.
1: well i was going to say and that's what's so interesting about the story is that the legacy is kind of mixed you know on the one hand attica touches off one of the most repressive criminal justice moments in american history and on the other hand um the fact that these guys stood together um across barriers of, of race and language and region and politics um you know, serves even today as an inspiration. You know, we just saw these these recent prison protests. And when mm-hmm. did they start them? But on September 9th, mm-hmm. right. 2016, because that to them that was commemorating the Attica uprising. So it has a mixed legacy, I think.
0: Yeah, I think another thing what your book's going to do is when you talked about all of the lawyers that came to defend the prisoners, just other lawyers hearing that, you know, it, it can help galvanize, you know, them feeling like hey i can i I can actually do something cause look what happened with history. If you can talk about the lawyers,
1: oh, I think that's absolutely right. I mean, indeed, the people have asked me, you know what do you hope happens out of this book and and I you know, of course, my primary desire is for people to understand that who lives behind bars are people, and um, you know, by the way, guards and prisoners alike, you know that guards mm-hmm. have ter- horrific working conditions, and prisoners have horrific living and working conditions, but I also want to call attention to the fact that the only reason we know uh, the story, frankly, is because prisoners kept being determined to tell their story, hostages were determined to tell their story, and to get to your point, lawyers from around the country, young law students, young lawyers, showed up, demanded access to these to this prison, demanded that these guys would have protection, demanded that they would be represented once they were indicted, and that changed history. I mean, had these guys been abandoned by the legal profession, they would all still be in prison. They would all still be uh, believed to be murderers and, you know, these barbaric individuals. What happened at Attica was one of the greatest legal defense efforts. Mm-hmm. in American history. I mean, it's right up there with the Scottsboro trial. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we need to remind our young people who are in the law today that it matters if they show up at these prisons. It matters if they represent people in solitary confinement. It matters if they pay attention and demand access. These are our public institutions. And yet nobody's allowed in them to see what goes on. Um, and that should scare us because uh, we know that what goes on when nobody's watching is never good.
3: You have a call from an inmate in a correctional facility. Inmate, state your name. Yeah. This phone call may be monitored
2: and recorded. Press 3 if you accept the
4: charges of not hang up. To my cousin Darren Rance, stay up, homie. To my brother Chris Butler, stay up, homie. If you locked in the box, keep making it through. Do your time, do your time. don't let your time do you. To my brother Mikey Mike, stay up, homie. To my cousin JB, stay up, homie. If you locked in the box, keep making it through. Do your time, do your time. don't let your time do, your time do, do you. looking at a man that would die for his daughter just to let her breathe. And I definitely die for Jesus because he died for me. Okay. Give my eyes to Stevie Wonder just to see what he's seen. But then I take him right back. Back to see Martin Luther's dream. I dream that I could tell Martin Luther we made it. But half of my black brothers are still incarcerated. Locked up in a cell block, lost from a shell shock. Some sold, they sold. Others used to sell rocks. Look up in my mailbox. I get letters from my cousin every week. Said he wanna hit the streets. But he never struck a deal, cause his mouth will never squeal. Put some money on his books and help him out with his appeals. And some pictures of the fam and nasty pics shot up. If you ever have to leave, I got some mother. And your daughter, born in this way of living, and are you for stuck to be safe and safe to say the justice system's fuck if you doin' twenty-five to life. Stay up, homie. I got your money on ice, so stay up, homie. If you locked in a box, keep making it through. Do your time. Do your time. Don't let your time do you.
0: Not only were the prisoners, we know they suffered a lot, but your book also goes into the hostages and their families. And once That's they figured right. out, you know, it took forever to get some kind of meager settlement for the prisoners. But when the ho- when the hostages found out, and then talk about how the state kind of swindled the hostages in a way.
1: Well, that's the thing. I mean, this is a story about prisoners, but it's also very much a story about people who work in corrections. Um, these hostages were state employees. Some of them were guards. Some of them were civilian employees, like clerks and so forth. And uh, my book reveals that the state of New York knew, and it wasn't accidental, they knew that if they went in with that degree of force, that hostages were going to die. And that really says something, right? Because it says that at the end of the day, they were willing to put down this rebellion at any cost, including the lives of their own employees. And worse, um, perhaps, at the end of the day worse was that then they swindled them as you said they they went to all of these surviving hostages those who had managed to survive or to the widows of slain hostages and basically said, look, you know, Mrs. So and So, here's a small check to tide you over. Which, of course, they were desperate for because they had just been rendered without an income, um, either because they were surviving in the hospital or because they just lost their husband who used to make the the, the income. And um, these people who cashed those meager, meager checks were never told by the state of New York that when they did that, they had quote unquote elected a remedy, which meant that they were thereby unable to sue the state for the best of their husbands. So what what, what I learned was that this was deliberate, <laughs> hmm. that they were deliberately given those checks in the hope that they would cash them. And so their story is also tragic because this is a story of families destroyed. It's a story of poverty. It's a story of never being Heard, uh and, and they too uh, will eventually have their day with the state of New York and get some financial recompense, but uh, they, like the prisoners, feel that justice was still not done, in part because the state of New York still has not admitted responsibility. Um, it's, it's paid out some money, but it still denies what happened, and it still, by the way, refuses to open the records, which is what the surviving families really want. Yeah. You know, they want to know what
0: happened to their loved ones. Gosh, you know, what What was also powerful was was your epilogue. I really enjoyed that part. Mm. And there was one part where you talked about in the 1970s, the American Correctional Association did a study and they claimed that they found that there was a new type of prisoner. What was this okay. new type of prisoner?
1: Well, so the new type of prisoner that they were referring to after Attica was the so-called militant troublemaker, the the black power uh, guy who uh, no matter what what you had to do in a prison, you had to make sure those people would not have any power in the prison, and indeed – Uh, At the time, there were some suggestions that we should make some prisons specifically for those militant troublemakers. But, of course, when we look back on that, we understand how important it is that that was the way they saw it. Because now we understand it wasn't just about putting down a prison uprising. It wasn't just about getting control back over one's prison. It was about, uh, about a battle between... Uh, really, uh, the white authorities in government and, uh, people on the ground, black and brown people who simply wanted equality under the law. And so threatened were the people in government in this period that rather than, uh, open up the democracy or open up jobs to the extent that needed to happen, instead they chose to, uh,
4: minimize
1: those people to say that their grievances weren't legitimate because they were uh, just troublemakers. They were just these violent, militant troublemakers. And they actually went so far, as you might have recalled in that epilogue, they actually went so far as to describe these people as sick,
0: mm-hmm.
1: as mentally ill, as, you know, desiring the destruction of the nation. And I have to say that that portrayal of uh, of black freedom fighters was devastating, right? Because it, it, it turned, again, it, it, it it undercut so much of what they were trying to do. And by the way, it justified the FBI uh, dismantling so many black civil rights organizations, either by force or by counterintelligence.
2: Baby on the way, then I got my case. Went on the run and gave myself some time to think Sitting in my cell All I did was pray Call home once a week and tell my people I'm okay Ask me if I'm and I say hell no nah, I'm straight, but you can tell the difference Cause it's written on my face I've been working out I've been gaining weight I've been having dreams about the day they cracked the gate Ain't send me no mail Break it with my baby girl Glad to take over the world I just ended up in jail Writing down my plans, hoping I do hit the pen. Drop a thousand on my books and trust me, I'll be back again. Shit ain't looking good. Still, I keep the faith. Sitting in this county jail, trying to fight my
0: case. What's Attica's impact on mass incarceration?
2: Well, you know,
1: it's as, a, as I said earlier, I think that it's not that one event, no one event can explain uh, mass incarceration. But Attica goes a long way to helping us understand why it would be that, you know, we come out of this period in history uh, where the police have killed unarmed students at Kent State. Mm-hmm. The police have beaten so many young people in Chicago at the Democratic National Convention. The police have killed Native Americans at Wounded Knee, and the police kill 39 people at Attica and wound, seriously wound, 128 people, and yet... We decide that we need stronger police. We decide we need more police. The only way you can understand that uh, is if you understand that these histories were distorted. And Attica is that moment where we can look closely and see how that happened, how uh, the nation was swindled, not just the hostages through the prisoners, but the nation was swindled mm-hmm. into believing that in some of the most important struggles for democratic rights and for equality, um, The media, and uh, really directed by folks on top with power, distorted the story, and that led not just to mass incarceration, but it also led to the crisis we face today with police shootings and no accountability, because frankly, uh, we jaded so many Americans to believe that law enforcement could actually do something wrong, Mm -hmm.
0: um,
1: because because they weren't held accountable even back in the 70s. Mm -hmm. Yeah.
0: So what do you think is Attica's legacy?
1: Well, I mean, I think it's, you know, it's mixed. It's, uh, it is that terrible repression that we're now trying to undo. It's the crisis of the mass incarceration that we're now trying to walk back. Um, but, it is, uh, but it is also that spirit of resistance. Um, you know, one of the things that Attica showed was that all these people who have nothing in common other than the indignities that they have to face every single day and the injustices they have to face every thing, single day, uh, will stand together, and uh, that, that that people will ultimately demand to be treated as human, even even if they are the most marginalized people in society, which is of course what prisoners have become. Um, and so it's a it's a legacy of repression, but it's also a legacy of resistance. I think.
0: And I think you're correct because just knowing that. On the 45th anniversary, a lot of there's a lot of pressure strikes going around. <laughs> it shows that uh-huh. because Attica's out there, the story's out there forever. There will be yep. some kind of influence that Attica has, and I feel like it's definitely going to put pressure on changing the uh, on prison reform because something like that it just sticks with you and it shows yeah. it's the it's story. It's, it's almost like a story about a hero story, you know. So, you know mm-hmm. so I, I think you're definitely correct. How how well, well it is. Mm-hmm. I mean
1: there are there are there are definitely the bad guys in the story, but I I'm so glad you said that because I do I do want to really stress for anyone who's not read it that, you know, these are there's some incredible heroes and heroines in this book too. You know, people mm-hmm. that um against extraordinary odds uh stuck to it and, and were determined to get some form of justice. And so, in that sense, you're right. I think it's not just about a depressing story of backlash. It's also a story of remarkable courage.
0: Mm-hmm. So, how are conditions today at attica uh
1: worse mm-hmm. uh you know this is this is the consequences of the backlash. Um, you know there's still a, a terrible problem of prisoners being abused, which is why uh you know the Justice Department um, is looking into prisons like Attica um there is uh, still overcrowding. Um, uh, there's way too much time being done in solitary confinement. Um, in many respects, it's worse. And that's probably the greatest tragedy of Attica. For a moment, there were some pretty profound uh, reforms that came. Um, but ultimately, what came was such, such backlash that the guys inside today, um, you know, it's a hellhole. And it is a trauma site and for the guards that work there or the prisoners that are locked in there um it's it's one of our nation's most barbaric institutions
0: yeah it's almost like they're just they just want to punish them for what, what what they've done it's just incredible yep which of
1: course much of the nation is on board with because the, you know mm-hmm. they say well look you know this idea of if, you, if you if you're going to do the crime do the time but what the what the part of you know what what Atticus shows us what this book shows us is that there's a huge difference between serving time and being tortured and abused. There's a huge difference. And and it also raises questions about who ends up doing the time. Mm -hmm. Because, of course, in this story, the murderers are the police. And not a one of them does the time.
3: I'm a prison cell, six by nine, living hell. Stone wall, metal bars for the guards in jail. My nickname, the can, the slammer, the big house. I'm the place many fear, cause there's no way out. I take the sun away, put misery instead. When you with me, most folks consider you dead. I saw too many inmates falling apart. Call for the guards and let them out at night when it's dark. Convicts think they alone, but if they listen close, they can hear me groan. Touch the wall, feel my pulse. All the pictures you put up. It's stuck in my skin I hear your prayers Even when you're whispering I make it hotter in the summer Colder in the winter If the boy parole you then another con enters. No remorse for your tears. I've seen them too often. When you cry, I make you feel alive inside a coffin. Watch you when you eat, play with your mind when you sleep. Make you dream that you're free, then you wake up to me. Face to face with a cage. No matter your age, I can shatter you, turn you to a savage in rage. Change your life, that's if you get a chance to get out. Cause only you and I know what suffering's about. Yo, it's stunning when bedsheets become your woman. And I'm the one that got your weapons when the beef is coming. Maybe one day I'll open up my arms to relax.
0: It's incredible how your book comes out in such a poignant time in our in, in, in our history. It's almost like it yeah. it was planned, but you, you you can't plan something like that.
1: No, and in fact, you know that's one of the greatest ironies. Uh, the book was supposed to be done probably by I, I think in two thousand six maybe um and it just you know it just couldn't be because i was struggling so hard to to collect all the information i needed to write it and um you know the fact that it came out 13 years after i began it um was a complete fluke but one that um you know it is kind of startling how much we are right back in the center of these exact same issues and and i guess for that i'm both appalled and deeply saddened uh, but also grateful that if we have to be here, that at least we've got some uh, some historical roadmap,
0: yeah.
1: roadmaps that we can read and, and, and kind of reassess where we are.
0: Right. And based on that, what, what kind of criticism have you received from writing this book?
1: You know, um, I have to say uh, I, I'm very startled by uh, the fact that not a lot. Um, you know, I mean, I get my haters, I get my Twitter trolls and mm. my – Uh, You know, I do get my haters for sure uh, that are absolutely vicious and, you know, sexist and racist and horrible Mm -hmm. human beings that that write to me. But in general, um, I think most people are moved by this story and most people are grateful for it. And I am grateful for that because if this book does nothing else, if it just tells the story to more people, um, you know, I'm very glad. And I have to say that even corrections officers – and even police officers have told me, um, you know, it's a hard book to read, but it's truthful. And um, and so I guess I, I, I was expecting more backlash, actually, than I had gotten.
0: Mm-hmm. So, you know, I mean, I, I consider this groundbreaking research. What surprised you the most?
1: You know, uh, the two things that surprised me the most were the level of abuse. Um, like I said, I, you know, I knew it pretty quickly in the project, but I just couldn't ever get my hands around it. I couldn't get my head around it. I couldn't quite, you know, you you just, we, we read about, you know, slave narratives and the amount of abuse that went on and maybe because it was so long ago, people don't question it. But when you get this close to the present and you Mm -hmm. see that level of abuse, it's hard to, it's hard to process. Um, And the second thing was I was utterly uh, just, just, Utterly stunned by the lengths that everybody uh, went to to make sure that law enforcement would be protected.
4: <laughs> and,
1: and I guess the final thing is I was stunned by how many times people that had power, people that could have helped, people that could have stepped in and just did the right thing, um, bailed um bailed on people who needed help and and those three things were just kind of i i still i they still take me aback.
0: yeah so so like with with everything and i'm i'm assuming you know it, it, since it took you 13 years how did you grow as a person from writing this book
1: well it changed me um it changed me for sure you know prior to doing this book i always knew that i would be a civil rights historian of some kind and an urban historian and historian of African-american history in some some form but doing this book uh, has forever made me uh, a prison activist doing this book has forever made me someone who will be uh, determined to shine the light on prisons even if it means just in my you know popular writing um, so it, it changed me because I didn't understand when I began this book how, critically important our criminal justice system is for the rest of our systems like I didn't get it I didn't Mm -hmm. I had never been inside of a prison until I was inside of Attica Uh, even though I have you know my family is very reflective of families in in the world you know I have you know family members that have been in law enforcement and family members that have been incarcerated and I realized that you know this is this is but This is true of so many citizens. And so it changed me, you know, it changed my vantage point on which I, you know, through which the lens through which I understand the society I live in.
0: Yeah. And lastly, what do you want the reader to mainly take away from this book?
1: That you cannot cage uh, human beings and and treat them the way that we treat people in prison and expect our society to be whole and safe and uh you know and and forward moving uh we have to reassess the way we deal with wrongdoing in this country and we have to we have to take seriously this idea that there should be equal justice under the law so first we have to you know think about what that justice should look like but but it better be uh meted out equally and that that, you know, everybody is under the same uh, responsibilities under the law. And, you know, I hope that people believe all of these things to a different level than maybe they did before they read it. Um, I certainly do, just having done the research, and I I hope I can share that.
0: Yeah. I mean, I think it's an incredible book, very eye-opening. It's almost to a point that I can't even believe something like this happened so recent in history and just how it kind of still is going on today and it's just incredible. So how, how, how can people purchase this book?
1: Well, it's pretty much, uh, uh, thankfully it's, it's everywhere. I mean, you can get it, uh, at any independent bookstore, which is what I really encourage people to use, but it can also be found on, you know, on Amazon and books a million and Barnes and Noble and all of the, the, the normal sites. Um, and it is a book that soon we will have an audio version of, which is oh, good because I, I know that it's a long book and people will be able to um, listen to it uh, uh, and not just read it. And and eventually there will be a film, uh, I think, on it. Oh, wow. So we we will have lots of ways to, I think, uh, digest the story, which, which is, again, I'm very grateful for.
0: And how can people get in contact with you?
1: uh well they can certainly always go to my website which is very easy it's heatherannthompson Thompson and um and certainly um send me uh send me a note tell me what you thought about the book
0: thank you dr ann Th- thompson thank you so much for being on the show today we appreciate it
1: thank you so much for having me
0: bye if you want to purchase the book or any of the music i've included links in the show notes Or you could just go to BooksBeatsAndBeyond.com. And, And, you know, what's cool is by clicking on the links, you support the guests, the music artists, and uh, we get a small commission, which is no extra cost to you, which we will then put toward the operations of this show. Um, And also, please click on the iTunes link to subscribe, rate, and leave a review. And if you do this stuff already just want to say thank you so much for your support. Remember, let's read, listen, explore.